Hello everyone, welcome to Utter Nonsense. I'm Dan, your ambassador of nonsense. You might know me from a podcast about Catholic things, which I record with my brother Eric, the ambassador of common sense. He's not here right now, thus utter nonsense. In this episode, I'm going to talk about the movie, The Hunt. You may have had an opportunity at some point to read a story by Mark Twain called The Dandy Frightening the Squatter. Possibly you had to read it in a high school or college literature class. The Dandy Frightening the Squatter is Mark Twain's first published story, and it was written in 1852. It's a short story, short enough in fact that it would probably take me longer to tell the story on my own than to just read it to you. So I'm going to read it to you. About 13 years ago, when the now-flourishing young city of Hannibal on the Mississippi River was but a woodyard surrounded by a few huts belonging to some hardy squatters, and such a thing as a steamboat was considered quite a sight, the following incident occurred. A tall, brawny woodsman stood leaning against a tree which stood upon the bank of the river, gazing at some approaching object which our readers would easily have discovered to be a steamboat. About half an hour elapsed, and the boat was moored and the hands busily engaged in taking on wood. Now among the many passengers on this boat, both male and female, was a spruce young dandy with a killing mustache, etc., who seemed bent on making an impression upon the hearts of the young ladies on board, and to do this he thought he must perform some heroic deed. Observing our squatter friend, he imagined this to be a fine opportunity to bring himself into notice. So stepping into the cabin, he said, Ladies, if you wish to enjoy a good laugh, step out on the guards. I intend to frighten that gentleman into Fitz, who stands on the bank. The ladies complied with the request, and our dandy drew from his bosom a formidable-looking bowie knife and thrust it into his belt. Then, taking a large horse pistol in each hand, he seemed satisfied that all was right. Thus equipped, he strode on shore with an air which seemed to say the hopes of a nation depend on me. Marching up to the woodsman, he exclaimed, Found you at last, have I? You are the very man I've been looking for these three weeks. Say your prayers. He continued, presented his pistols. You'll make a capital barn door and I shall drill the keyhole myself. The squatter calmly surveyed him a moment. Then, drawing back a step, he planted his huge fist directly between the eyes of his astonished antagonist, who in a moment was floundering in the turbid waters of the Mississippi. Every passenger on the boat had by this time collected on the guards, and the shout that now went up from the crowd speedily restored the crestfallen hero to his senses, and as he was sneaking off towards the boat, was thus accosted by his conqueror. I say you, the next time you come round drilling keyholes, don't forget your old acquaintances. The ladies unanimously voted the knife and pistols to the victor. Now I'm going to confess something, because it kind of informs my take on this story. I like revenge stories, or more properly, the broader category of comeuppance stories. I'm talking about everything from Death Wish to the Count of Monte Cristo. It's natural for me to take delight in the comeuppance delivered to the dandy by the squatter. After all, the dandy wasn't acting real nobly, was he? Well, it turns out many rural and small-town folk in what was in Mark Twain's time, the Western expansion, agreed with me. Twain's story was a hit for its portrayal of the dandy getting what's coming to him, but it was a bit more than that. People in rural life enjoyed the synecdoche of it. 
They probably didn't understand the word, or understand that's what they were actually enjoying, but I'll explain. It wasn't the dandy just getting what's coming to him as a lone figure, as a single portrayal of an individual accosting another individual and then receiving his just dessert. Rather, the story represented for them the shaming of what the dandy represented, the presumptuous, self-important city types of the East Coast. Or did it? You see, Mark Twain's story was just as popular among those city folks back east. The way they saw it, they were all sharing in a poke at the ignorance of the rural folk. In their minds, the squatter was its own kind of synecdoche. It was a representation of the inferior rural backwoods classes. The way they read the story, the squatter's own reaction to being accosted by the dandy justified the dandy's initial attitudes towards the squatter, kind of after the fact, if you will. It justified that it was okay for the dandy to use the squatter for a bit of fun. After all, the squatter, by his own behavior, showed himself to be inferior to the dandy. For the East Coast city dwellers, the story seemed to dovetail with and even justify their feeling of superiority as a class. Look, those country bumpkins are so dumb they'll punch you in the face just for having a bit of fun. In other words, they sympathized with the dandy, at least as he represented an attitude of superiority. And that was the real genius of Mark Twain. He exposed the psychology of superiority. Of course, he didn't think of it in those terms so much, but that's what he did. He put the dandy clearly in the wrong. Here was a fellow taking it on himself to get some fun out of another man. The dandy approached the squatter with what is, objectively speaking, ignoble intent. Furthermore, that ignoble intent was born of something deeper, an ignoble attitude towards other people. And yet, Twain managed to tell the story in a way that those who shared the ignobility of the dandy openly sympathized with him in their response to the story. The way he did it, Mark Twain managed to put the ignobility of an entire class of people on display, so to speak. I suspect there are people in the current day who would enjoy this story through similar sympathies with the dandy if it were published or recast. Perhaps instead of a squatter, it could be a hillbilly or a redneck, and instead of a dandy, it could be a big city social influencer, maybe a fashion designer or a news personality. The Hunt is a movie directed by Craig Zobel and starring Betty Gilpin and Hilary Swank. I think it kind of manages to do just what Mark Twain's story, The Dandy Frightening the Squatter, did back in 1852. By the way, let me just stop here and say that this review is going to have spoilers. I'm not trying to present you enough information to decide whether to see the movie or not. My intention is to talk about the story. The story revolves around two small groups of people, each of which is, just as in Mark Twain's story, a synecdoche. I'm going to refer to them as deplorables and elites, without justifying either label. You know what I'm talking about, unless you're one of those non-elite sympathizers with elites, in which case you're probably willfully refusing to know what I'm talking about. The story isn't told in a strictly linear timeline. We get a little bit of backflashes that gradually reveal what's really happening that doesn't seem to quite be what originally is happening. In the linear timeline, there's a conspiracy rumor going around about elites rounding up and hunting regular people, deplorables, for sport. 
At one point, a small group of these so-called elites, the elites of our story, engages in a bit of light fantasy about doing just that. It's touched off when one of them sees a social media posting about him from some deplorable. The exchange among this group of elites, in this social media context, on its face looks like they're talking about a bit of anticipatory pleasure in an upcoming hunt event in which they're going to get to kill a few of these deplorables who cause them so much anguish. In reality, the exchange is just a bit of, yeah, would that it were, kind of fantasizing, at the end of which one of them says deleting this thread. Well, it didn't get deleted before one of the conspiracy theorists got hold of it and posted it as proof of the hunt, the conspiracy of these elites rounding up and hunting deplorables. The group, even though the exchange was just a bit of fantasy engagement, are dismissed from their positions because of the optics of it. That's what kicks off the unlikely part of the story. The group decides to get even with these deplorables by doing just what they were, had been accusing them of. They rounded up the deplorables who they felt were most responsible for their loss of job positions, transported them to Croatia, and engaged them in what the elites thought would be a bit of cat and mouse while killing the deplorables off one by one. Okay, here I'll break in and just say the long and short of the rest of the story is that one woman in this group of deplorables turns the tables and ends up killing all of the elites. Yes, all of them. The movie depicts both sides with a certain superficiality. The elites are fickle and disgustingly androgynous. The women are more manly than the men. The deplorables, except for the heroine, exhibit the cliché redneck sensibilities. Oh, and the women are more manly than the men. I'm going to take a side note here and talk about this trend in modern movies, this blurring of men and women. It undermines the authenticity of women. I don't know why it's such a favored uh, trope among modern directors and producers. There's something fundamentally strong in womanhood that a feminine portrayal of a woman can tap into. But when a story is told that involves the interaction of men and women, but done in a way that you could get rid of the women and just make the whole story men, or get rid of the men and make the whole story women, it loses something. In any case, getting back to the story, here's the thing. The deaths of both the elites and the deplorables are portrayed in such a way that depending on who you quite sympathize with, you get to have your own private, quiet, yes, moment at each death. Like Mark Twain's story, The Dandy Frightening the Squatter, which moments give you your yes experience reveals something about your psychology. You see, like Mark Twain's story, there is clearly an antagonist, somebody who accosts somebody else unjustly. And just in case there are some dunderheads in my audience, I'll make it clear the antagonist in this case are the elites. However, as in Twain's story, somebody whose sympathies are already with the elites in our society Somebody who truly sees rednecks, hillbillies, farmers, small-town business owners, etc. as deplorables will come away from the movie feeling just a little bit like it vindicates those sympathies. They'll perceive that the actions of the deplorables in the movie justify, after the fact, the initiation of aggression on the part of the elites. They'll find themselves engaging in their own little would-that-it-could-be-so fantasy. Like Mark Twain's story, the hunt is in its own small way a bit of a work of genius. 
it invites mutually opposing sympathies to find fulfillment in the same storytelling, but it also reveals something about you by which sympathies you find fulfilled. And that wraps up our episode of Utter Nonsense. Join me next time, whenever that might be. And as always, remember, circle the beads. <laughs>